they, this is Joseph and Mary, brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, verse 28, he took him up, or, yeah, verse 28, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. I think it's a really neat passage uh, of scripture just to give you a little bit of background as to what we've read, a little bit of summary, um, this is Mary and Joseph are bringing Jesus after his birth uh, to uh, the temple for a time uh, where they were actually offering a sacrifice for, for, their, for, her, for Mary's purification. Uh, Leviticus chapter 12 describes uh, this practice, this Levitical law, where the uh, after, after giving birth, a woman was considered to be unclean for seven days, and then there was a 33-day time frame after that, where they were uh, also kind of regarded as ritually unclean, um, and then they would go to the temple or the tabernacle and offer a, uh, a lamb and a, and a pigeon or a turtle dove as an offering, a sin offering and a burnt offering to the Lord. Um, in this case, we read it, that there was the, the option, if you didn't have the resources for a lamb, you could offer two pigeons or two turtle doves, which is what Luke seems to refer to here. Um, they are going here also to basically, they're dedicating Jesus to the Lord, um, offering him. It's kind of similar to if you're familiar with the story in the Old Testament of Hannah when she offers Samuel uh, as well. We also read that, uh, that Simeon, we read about Simeon, who is in the temple in just that moment, and he is a righteous man. Who is, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, he's probably an older man, because he refers to, Lord, may your, your servant can now depart in peace. Uh, and he was longing for this redemption of Israel. He was looking forward to this Messiah who would be revealed. And then we also read about Anna, who is this faithful widow 
who has been widowed for many years. She's an older woman as well, and she's a prophetess. She worships in the temple day and night. She's there worshiping the Lord. And she's widowed, most likely it seems like after seven years of marriage. Um, and so she probably lived a rather hard life from a worldly perspective in this time frame. Probably a lot, a lot of poverty, a lot of struggle for her, but she was faithful to the Lord. So a little bit of background there. Um, also want to note a little bit about why this passage is significant. In this passage, there are some clear requirements. Uh, we see this is clear sort of emphasis in Judaism, this fulfilling of the requirements of the law, which Joseph and Mary are doing. And um, it reminds us, I think, that it reminds us very much of the Jewishness of Jesus, how Jesus came to earth as a Jew, and how God chose the Jewish people to be the nation through whom his salvation would come to the nations. And we also see how the Jesus is fulfilling the law and prophets. I'm reminded of, this, of these words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, where he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, not, one, not a dot... I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. If you're familiar with some of the prophecies about Jesus and his birth, you know that Jesus fulfilled so many different things regarding his, his birth in Bethlehem, his, the prophecies from Isaiah of his coming, and, his, and then later on as he died on the cross for our sins. Jesus, and you see how Jesus' parents are being obedient to the Old Testament law. And I think this passage also reminds us, though, of how God's word stands forever. Right here in Matthew 5, where how all of it will be fulfilled, none of it will be missed. In addition, uh, just some additional significance for this passage. This passage is, ties in with some key themes for Luke and his gospel. Um, the emphasis on the, the Holy Spirit, which we're going to talk a little bit more about today. And we'll see how this, this theme of this universal component of salvation, that salvation is available for all people, that it is available for those who would put their faith in Jesus. And we'll see that again today, that salvation is both for the Jews and the Gentiles. Uh, and Simeon and Anna's declarations, this passage very much supports the, the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is God's son, the savior of the world. But I also think Simeon and Anna and this is kind of where we're going to focus on today, they teach us some lessons about waiting on God. Um, there, uh, Simeon and Anna, they, they, they make these declarations, but they were waiting too. They were hoping for the one who was coming. So our question today that we're going to consider, if we think about this idea of waiting on God, how can we respond when we are waiting for God to bring change. I want us to see three ways in which we can respond to these seasons of waiting on God from the, from the life and lessons of Simeon and Anna. Look again at verse 25 of uh, the first one, I should say. First one. We can remain faithful and obedient to God as we wait for things to change. Look at verse 25, Luke chapter 2. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
So Simeon had spent his life waiting for this hope of Israel, this deliverer, a Messiah who would come to save God's people. One of the things I've been thinking about a good deal actually this month is how much, how much waiting took place before Jesus came. The period, David Jeremiah writes, the period between the fall of man in Genesis, this period with Adam, to the time of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, is about 4,000 years, depending on how you date those things. And we currently are still waiting. We wait, we wait for Jesus to return, and that's also about 2,000 years, and, we, and we're still waiting. And I was thinking about just how many people pass through the scene knowing that this deliverer is coming, knowing that salvation is coming, but they're still waiting. They wait. And sometimes that, that, that's sort of an interesting puzzle to me to think about how long people were waiting for God to bring deliverance, but they still had hope. They still had confidence. And then we see here as Simeon, he's also, he's familiar with these promises of God. He knows that there is a Messiah who's coming, and the Lord reveals this to him, that he is going to see the one who has come before he dies. But one of the things I wanted to show us from this, that while Simeon says he, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, note his reputation, though. His reputation, he was righteous. He was devout. He didn't compromise on his faith and his convictions. He was known as a man who was faithful and godly before the Lord and before other people. But as we do think about how long so many people were waiting, I want us to be reminded that this promise of God goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. The promise of God that a Messiah, a deliverer, would come. Look in verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. A little bit of context on this verse is that the, the context has to do with, this is right after Adam and Eve's fall, right after the fall of man, where they sinned against God, they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And these are God's words to the serpent who deceived Eve. And he notes that there is this one who's going to come, who will crush the head of the serpent, but shall be bruised in the process. This is a promise that the, the fancy word for this, to make me, just so I sound like a smart seminary student, the fancy word is proto-evangelion, evangelium, uh, which is this first declaration of God's plan of redemption. It's kind of the gospel in the book of Genesis, if you will, foretold for thousands of years um, that there would be this deliverer who would come and crush Satan, sin, death, and hell. I think it's interesting, uh, Victor Hamilton, one, one, one scholar who writes that, that Eve probably didn't understand how long this would be before the deliverer would come. Some of her own words with, her, with the birth of Cain or the birth of Seth seem to indicate that maybe she thought one of them would be this deliverer who would come. But it's not any of those people. It's not any of the people that we read about in the book of Genesis. It's all leading up to the one who was coming, Jesus, who is far greater than any. But I also want to show, we saw how Simeon was righteous and devout. I want us to see, too, how Anna also was faithful. Look in verse 37, Luke chapter 2. 
says that she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Again, we said, well, Anna had lived as a widow for many years, but she remained faithful in prayer and fasting. She didn't give up on following the Lord, even though life had probably been very hard for her. She would not compromise her convictions. I think it's kind of something I was thinking about in, in trying to think, illustrate the components of some aspects of our morality is that sometimes we, we all have risks of taking moral shortcuts. It's kind of, would any of you take this shortcut? If you take this, this looks pretty treacherous to me. I don't even know if this is a shortcut. Um, but maybe when I was younger, I would have gone down this, this pathway and, and attempted it. But now that I've gotten a little older, hopefully a little wiser, I'd be less apt to put myself in situations of potential danger. Um, I always find it interesting when you're, when you're using your GPS and you're looking at different routes. And sometimes what, what we think might be a shortcut really isn't a whole lot longer or shorter. It might even be longer than what we thought was when the, the route suggested. Um, any, any of you guys like any of you guys argue with your GPS at times? A few of us, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, maybe I'm a little more trusting of my GPS than I should be. Um, but when you do take, sometimes when you take a shortcut or what you think is a shortcut, it can get you into trouble. It can it can get you on a path where you don't want to be. And I think in a similar way. We as followers of Jesus, we, we, don't, we want to avoid moral shortcuts. We want to be people who are faithful and, and righteous, that our reputation is blameless before others and before the Lord. Knowing that if we do take moral shortcuts, we, take, we, we give in to sin and temptation, maybe trying to make a situation easier or trying to get something that we're waiting for that we want, we can get ourselves into trouble we can get ourselves onto pathways where we don't want to be and where God does not desire us to be. It's always wise to try to avoid, to, when, when God has called us to wait, we want to, we want to be following what God has called us to do and continue to wait, remaining faithful to his word and will. So my question is some points of application is, I'm sure in, in this congregation, many of us, there are things that we are waiting on God for. So what are you waiting on God for right now in this upcoming year? Maybe it's a new job or a promotion. Maybe you're looking forward to getting married or finding a, a relationship like that that's, that'll, that'll lead into marriage. Maybe there's your, your desires of having children or grandchildren. Maybe there's, maybe, maybe there's healing that you need for your body or healing in a relationship. Or, some, or a mental challenge, mental health challenge that, that you've been asking the Lord for healing. Maybe there's, maybe there's turnaround that you've been praying for for a loved one or a friend. And you're, and you're, you're hoping, you're praying that that, that that individual might turn if they're, maybe they're struggling with substance abuse. Or maybe they just, maybe you're desirous of someone who just to put their faith in Jesus, to see turnaround. I want to encourage you that God is working in the waiting. While we're waiting, God is still moving. God is still working in those hearts and lives. But waiting's hard. Waiting's hard. 
Uh, something that, that has challenged me is I've thought that God is not always about productivity and action. Now, God desires, he does have things that he desires us to do, but he also desires us to be. He desires us to be in relationship with him. He desires for us to grow and become like Jesus. And often waiting, trusting, hoping is part of how he does that. It's part of how he's leading us and helping us to be more like him. And as I said before, it's, it's hard. It can be a hard thing when you're waiting on God. You're waiting for something to change. But we also know that God sees the whole picture. He sees the end from the beginning. And he's working in ways that are beyond what we could ask or imagine. His priorities are different than ours. His goals are different than ours. And so often when we're waiting, we're struggling. We don't, I don't understand we're puzzled over why something seems as it does. We know that God is, God is still working. And I know many of you, I'm sure, can give testimonies to how God has called you to wait in different seasons and how God has moved and delivered. But I think Simeon and Anna remind us that as we are waiting, as we wait on God, God has called us to be faithful and obedient to his word and his will, what he's called us to do. So as we approach the new year, I want to encourage us to have that mindset. We have lots of hopes. There's lots of exciting things as we advance into 2024. But we also know that there, there are still things that we've been waiting on in 2023 and, be, and before. But God is still faithful. God will deliver. So I want us, well, we've seen the first way, that we can remain faithful and obedient to God as we wait for things to change. Now I want us to see how we can walk in step with God's spirit as we wait for things to change. Look in verse 25, 26, Luke chapter 2. Talking about Simeon, it says, And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, so we see here, this is, this is this emphasis on the Holy Spirit. In the book of Luke, there, there are 17 mentions of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts, also written by Luke, there are 56 mentions of the Holy Spirit. But we see here, this is this clear connection with Luke's theme about the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see that Simeon was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was upon him. The Spirit revealed truth to him. That's how Simeon knew that he would see the one who was coming, that he would live to see this momentous day. And I think this is closely connected with Simeon's faithfulness and his obedience to God. But the Spirit was very active in Simeon's life. We see that the Spirit led Simeon into the temple on that very day, at that very moment when Jesus and his parents were there. I think we can see that Simeon was, he must have been walking so closely with the Lord, walking in step with God's spirit, that he knew how God was leading him in that very moment, leading him where to be, knowing where God wanted him to walk. 
So I want to challenge us to think about how in tune are we with God's spirit, with his spirit, with, the leading, with his leading in our lives. Do we know how he is leading us each day, each week, each month? As we approach a new year, may we walk in light, walking in step with God's spirit. So we see how God's spirit leads and directed Simeon. But I also, this is also a really interesting passage to me in Acts chapter 16, where we see how God's spirit stops us at times, too. Look in verse 6, Acts 16. They, this is referring to the Apostle Paul and his traveling companions who were traveling on a missionary journey, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. This is Paul and his traveling companions. They're going to go share the gospel. They're going to go and do God's will, and yet, something strange. They're looking, they're thinking about where to go. Where does God want us to go? Who does he want us to preach to? And for some reason, the Lord stops them. They're stopped. What I think is really interesting about it is that it doesn't say how he stopped them. It doesn't say that they ran into Roman soldiers. It doesn't say that they, they couldn't get on the boat. It just says the Spirit stopped them. The Spirit forbid them. We see in verse, the following verses how, the Spirit, how God reveals to them where they should go. Verse 8. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so the key in this is to understand that this is, this is part of walking in step with God's spirit, that if we, if we seek to know him, if we seek to walk in his ways, that we're, we're conscious of how God is directing us to walk how he's directing us to stop. And it's interesting because if you read on in Acts 16, the circumstances don't get easier for Paul and his traveling companions. We read later on how he and Silas are in prison, and then we see how God shakes the prison doors with an earthquake, and they are released. And then that gives birth to the church in Philippi. It's always an interesting thing to think about how God is directing and leading. But again, relationship is the key. Relationship is what God desires for us to have. So how do we walk in step with God's spirit? Again, it's based upon our relationship with God. We do this through practicing our spiritual disciplines, things like prayer, studying, meditating on scripture, fasting, being in fellowship with one another. That's why we gather together as a church and we, we are keeping each other accountable. Even things like silence or if you, if you're, if you like to journal. There's, there's many different things, ways in which we can connect with, our, with the Lord. We can, we can connect with him and, and also learn more about what he's called us to do and to be. 
These are just some of these ways that we become more aligned and walking in step with God's Spirit. And always, I think always a good goal, always a good New Year's resolution, if you make those, is to, to consider, how, how, could I, how can I walk more with the Lord? How can I walk more in step with His Spirit? How can I practice some of these spiritual disciplines more faithfully? And I think sometimes it'd be, I don't know, sometimes I've often thought it would be so nice if we, when we're walking with the Lord, we would just, maybe there'd be some nice, simple formula that we could follow to like, okay, I go and do, this is what I do next, and then this is what I do next. But it's, it doesn't work that way. Because God calls us into relationship with him. He calls us to know him. And we might think, oh, this is the path I'm going on. This is, the, this is where I'm headed. And then God has a totally different plan in store. But we know that God's plan is always what's better, always best for us. I think it's kind of like, when I think about relationship, it's kind of like, it's kind of like gift giving in some respects. How many of you, um, when you, when you, when you, if you're like me, maybe like, I, I struggle when I, to, give, to find gifts for people. This is, you know, Christmas was like, it was, it was very stressful for me. I went from final projects to like, oh, I've got to think about Christmas gifts now. It was very stressful. Um, but but I, I do like when I can give a gift to someone that has a very personal touch to it. It has, a, has a, something that, that they would care about very personally. But in order to do that, you have to know the person. You have to know something about them. You have to know whether or not, oh, this would be something meaningful to them. This would be something that would encourage them. And relationship is key in that. And it's kind of similar, and that's kind of the, the way, it's similar to like how we, when we walk with God's spirit, our relationship with him is the key. We, as we walk with him and step with his word and following him in prayer and seeking his will, we're walking in that direction. We know, okay, this is, this is something that God would desire me to do. This is something that's in God's word. This is something that God has called me to do either personally or something that we've read in his word. And based upon how we know the Lord. So we've seen how we can, we've seen three ways we can respond to seasons of waiting on God. The first, we can remain faithful and obedient to God as we wait for things to change. We can walk in step with God's spirit as we wait for things to change. And then finally, the third way is that we can rejoice, give thanks, and proclaim how God has worked when the wait is over and things have changed. Look in verse 28, Luke chapter 2. He, that's Simeon, took him, Jesus, up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. When Simeon, he realizes that this is the promised one. This is the deliverer. He rejoices. He rejoices and gives thanks to God. He sings this song, which is, is known in Latin as this Nunc Dimittis, this, this song that he gives, where he recognizes that his eyes have now seen the salvation of God. 
The plan of redemption is now in full motion with Jesus who has come. Salvation has come to the world. And Simeon has been able to witness this with his very own eyes. What also is interesting is that he indicates that salvation is for all people, which is unusual. We even saw like some of the terminology of waiting for the redemption of Israel. But again, he says that there's this, you have prepared salvation in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. And that this, this is kind of, this again, these are these themes that Luke is showing us, and he's going to expand upon this more in the book of Acts when he explains more about how salvation is coming to the Gentiles. And God has been faithful to his word. He's for, he foretold this, as we read. He's been, it's been prophesied, and he was faithful to his personal promise to Simeon as well. Also, we see the response of Anna. In verse 38, it says, And coming up at that very hour, she, that's Anna, began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She realizes who this baby in the temple is, and she gives thanks to the Lord. She stops what she's doing. Nothing else matters in this moment. She just needed to stop and give thanks to God because the long-awaited Messiah is here. And she also speaks of Jesus to all those around her who also were waiting, those faithful remnant of people waiting for God to move. As we look at these passages, we are reminded that salvation is for all people. Salvation, and again, this is just one of these most wonderful truths about the gospel as Paul writes in Romans 1:16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. See, the gospel begins with this simple fact that every one of us is a sinner. We've all said, we've all done things that were against God's word and will. It could be as seemingly small as just telling a lie or saying something hurtful or being proud. It doesn't need to be what the world identifies as big sins like murder or theft. We are all sinners. We have all done things against God's word and his commands. And because all of us have sinned, this means that we would be separated from God for eternity in hell. But then this is what Christmas, this is what this season is all about that we celebrate, is that Jesus came to earth to live a sinless life and to die on a cross for our sins and to rise again. He was bearing the punishment for our sins that we deserved. He bore God's wrath towards sin on our behalf. But then he rose again from the grave, defeating Satan, sin, death, and hell. But the way that we receive this gift of salvation is what Paul says here is by belief. It's by putting our faith and trust in Jesus. We trust only in Jesus' work on the cross and in his burial resurrection as a means by which we can be forgiven of our sins. 
That's how we have eternal life. Salvation is available to everyone who believes. That's how we know that we can spend eternity in heaven with the Lord. As we've reflected on this idea about this, this coming one, this Messiah, who is coming, the one that we've waited for, that, that, that all of the generations, thousands of years waited for, I'm reminded of this old Christmas carol called O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Um, the text actually originally was originally written in Latin, goes back to the ninth century, uh, and went through some different modifications. And, um, but this text reminds us of God's people waiting for their Redeemer. If you think about the lyrics, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. The, the, the tune for this is, has this sort of a haunting sort of a sound in some ways, uh, as it has this sort of a, a drawn-out kind of lonely even sort of sound, if you will. But yet, as, as they waited for God's Son to appear, we are, as the songwriter urges us, to respond with rejoicing, for the Savior has come. One of the later verses of the song um, is also, I think, it gives us some good doctrine about what Jesus has done. It says, O come, thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save, and give them victory o'er the grave. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. This speaks about how Jesus has given us freedom from sin, Satan, pa Satan's power over us, and defeated hell and the grave. This is what Jesus has done, and our hearts do cry together with this song, Rejoice, Rejoice, Emmanuel. So I think we respond like the songwriter says. We respond like Simeon and Anna did. We can rejoice when we've gone through seasons of waiting and hoping and disappointment, when the waiting ends and God has moved and God has brought deliverance. We rejoice. We celebrate how God has moved. We celebrate that God has answered our prayers. We give thanks to God. As we saw Simeon and Anna did, we give thanks for God's faithfulness as we waited. We know that God has been with us, that God was working in our lives. And so the third response is we need to proclaim that. We need to proclaim how God changed us, how God has worked in our hearts, made us more like him. We, need, we can be that testimony to the world. This is how God has moved. I waited for this. I prayed for this, and God delivered. And then, of course, we, we always can proclaim how the gospel still changes lives. The gospel is always what changes all of us. It's, all, it's continually changing us. As we remind ourselves of the gospel, we're reminded of what Jesus has done, and we need to proclaim that. Just as Anna did, 
when she realized, she proclaimed to those around her, she said she was telling them about this one who has come, this one that they've waited for. This is the one. And I'm, and I'm thankful for how God does move, and God does answer our prayers. Even when we go through those tough seasons of waiting, even when our, our hopes and dreams don't happen when we'd like them to, we know that God is still working in our hearts. He is working in lives. And so just in summary, as we, we consider just these three ways, again, in which we respond to these seasons of waiting, we can remain faithful and obedient to God as we wait for things to change. We can walk in step with God's spirit as we wait for things to change. And then we rejoice, give thanks, and proclaim how God has worked when the wait is over and things have changed. Maybe today, maybe today is, uh, as we're approaching a new year, maybe you've been hearing these things about the gospel, but you've never placed your faith in Jesus. Today is the best day you could do that and get that settled. Pastor Barry and I will be up front. We'll be available if you want to talk to share with you more about this good news of Jesus and how you can put your faith and trust in him and how you can have confidence that you will spend eternity with God. Maybe today you've been coming to this church, you're, but you, maybe you feel as we start this new year, this is a place where God is calling you to be. We're available up front as well. If you want to make that, that statement of faith as well, that you want this is where God is calling me to be. And finally, maybe you just need some prayer today. Maybe, maybe, you, maybe there's things in your life you've been waiting on that you're, you just want to come to someone, share with them about uh, that you just need some prayer, that you're praying for God to move. We're, we're available up front as well for that as well. Let's, let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, that you are with us in the waiting, that you are ministering to our hearts, that you are preparing us for this next year. And Lord, may we walk into this next year with hope and excitement trusting in you for all that you're doing in our lives, in our families, among our friends, and in this congregation, Lord. We thank you for the change that you have brought, the lives that have been touched, the individuals who have put their faith in you this year. We thank you for that. And Lord, I pray you help us as this week, as we go and live out who you've called us to be, that you give us boldness, that you give us clarity and help us to walk in step with your spirit. Help us to know how you are leading and directing us. Help us to be faithful. Praying that you just encourage us each step of the way this week. We thank you just for your love for us. We thank you that you are always with us no matter, no matter um, what circumstances we're facing. We thank you for these things. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.